Now, we're going to start out today with a little bit of Christmas humor. You've seen these shows today where they got all these questions, the Q&A. What's the one with the beast on it, the big guy that knows all this trivia stuff? I can't think of the name of the show, but anyway, they ask a question, and you're supposed to fire back an answer really quick. So I'm going to ask these questions, and I'm not going to give you very long to answer. What do you get if you cross a mistletoe and a duck? A Christmas quacker. Where does a snowman keep his money? In a snowbank. How do you scare a snowman? Pull out the hair dryer. Uh, what nationality is Santa Claus? North Polish. What Christmas carol is the favorite of parents on Christmas night? Silent night. You got that one right. What do you call a snowman in the summer? A puddle. What do snowmen eat for breakfast? Frosted flakes. What do you get when you cross a snowman with a vampire? Frostbite. Okay, you know, it's always good to have a little humor and a little joy here at Christmas time. Christmas should be a joyous time. It should be a, a season of hope. And, and just really great joy. But you know what? This year, that's not so true everywhere. I read an article this week that really made me sad. The title of this article was, Bethlehem Cancels Christmas, but local pastors still expect a holy night. Part of the article says this, church leaders in Bethlehem across the Holy Land have decided to mute Christmas celebrations this year due to the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. Typically, Bethlehem, a Palestinian city of 30,000 people in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, is jammed with more than 3 million visitors coming from all over the world to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. Marching bands, carol singers, dancers, fireworks would fill the city with loud cheer and festive energy. Thousands would pack the church of the nativity. Golden lights would twinkle across Star Street. And a giant tree with a ruby star would illuminate Manger Square. Instead, the streets are dark and hushed. It will be a silent night this Christmas. But it will still be a holy night, according to local Christian leaders. Stripping Christmas of all its extraneous decorations... And Western traditions, they say, will help them focus on the true meaning of Christmas. Now, it's not that way everywhere in the Middle East. Uh, despite the heavy, tense atmosphere, at least one place has decided to continue with Christmas festivities this year. Of all places, Jerusalem International YMCA. In West Jerusalem, they decided to commence their annual Christmas tree lighting ceremony after the patriarchs and head of the churches in Jerusalem asked Christians in the region to avoid unnecessary festive Christmas activities. Fadi Suidan, CEO of the, of the YMCA, said his staff carried heavy hearts 
even as they encircled the giant Christmas tree with lights in preparation for the event. We had, not, we had a lot of mixed emotions, he said. It was hard for us to rejoice, but he felt necessary and important to keep this annual tradition. It was for the children. He had to bring hope for the children. We need to think about the sanity of the children. The children are waiting every year. How do you explain to children that there is no Christmas this year? He said about 600 children showed up for the lighting of the tree. You know, I'm sure in that part of the world, no longer do they take Christmas for granted. And so perhaps we can learn from them, but we can realize also that there's always good reason to celebrate Christmas because of the birth of Christ our Savior. And that's what we're going to think about today and what he came to do. We're continuing our series, of course, called The Gift of Christmas. And today we're going to talk about unwrapping salvation. Unwrapping salvation. So, how do we understand the gift of salvation? That's what I want you to think about today. Now, you know that word salvation, that's a word that you probably don't hear anywhere anywhere except in church. Maybe you could go back years, years ago and hear it in one of those old Righteous Brothers rock and roll songs. But probably the only place you hear the word salvation is in church. And so we're going to think about today what that word salvation means and what part Christ had to play in the salvation that we have. The story that we're going to pick up today tells us of this young couple, Mary and Joseph, 2,000 years ago, they uh, were a poor young couple. They were still living in Bethlehem, even though it was some time after Jesus had been born. And uh, we're going to tell about a little trip they made and the reason why they made that trip and what happened while they were on that particular trip. And I want you to think about this day of, of this trip. This was a very special day for Mary and Joseph. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to Luke chapter 2 today. Of course, Luke is, is uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. Luke is one of the best uh, uh, and longest um, books of the Bible that gives us the story of the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts gives us the history of the early church and how it got started and how the apostles uh, worked to establish the church. And Luke gives us a beautiful picture in this account today of what happened just a few days after Jesus was born, uh, a couple of events that took place in his life. So we'll begin in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites, by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to, present him to the Lord, as was written in the law of the Lord. 
Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two pigeons. Now, what I want you to think about here for just a minute, Joseph and Mary went to the temple to fulfill the law. Now, as that starts out in verse 21, uh, there's actually three ceremonies that are taking place here. In verse 21, it talks about on the eighth day after he was born, Jesus would have been circumcised. This was the practice of the Jews. Every firstborn male goes all the way back to Abraham when God established his covenant with the Jewish people. And the firstborn, uh, uh, every male child that was born on the eighth day was circumcised. Usually the father took care of that procedure, though in later days they had specialists that did that. And at that time, the child would have been given his name. Of course, the angel told Joseph what he was to be named. And so on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised, and he was given the name Jesus. That was his given name. Now, there are two other ceremonies that it talks about here. And you have to read this very closely to get this. And one of those was the redemption of the firstborn. And these are common ceremonies that, that they often had. Um, the redemption of the firstborn is first talked about in Numbers chapter 18, verse 16. And the Jewish people, whether they had an animal or a son born, the firstborn had to be dedicated to the Lord. And so they were, if they had a firstborn sheep, uh, they had a little sheep and they had a little lamb. They took that lamb and they offered that lamb as a sacrifice at the temple. If they had a firstborn son, they took that son to the temple and they offered the son to the priest, but they could buy it back for five shekels. And so... It didn't take the life of the, of the son. And so that was a symbolic gesture uh, pointing to the fact that God wanted every firstborn dedicated to him. There's a third ceremony here that takes place, and that's the purification of the mother. Now, in Jewish law, if a mother had a son, she was considered unclean for 40 days after the birth. If she had a, a female daughter, she was unclean for 80 days. And the way that worked is you couldn't participate in anything at the synagogue, at the temple, any religious ceremony like a, a wedding or a, a funeral or anything. You were unclean. But after the time prescribed was passed, then you went to the temple and the normal sacrifice was a lamb and a pigeon or a dove. But if you were poor, you could make the offering of the poor, which would be either two doves or two pigeons. Mary obviously was very poor. She made the offering of the poor, two pigeons or two doves. So Mary and Joseph made this five-mile trek from Bethlehem over to Jerusalem, this would have been on 40 days. The male, the redemption of the male had to take place 30 days after, at least 30 days after his birth. 
So this was probably the 40th day. They took care of both of those ceremonies at the temple. And Jesus was redeemed, and Mary was purified, and they took care of this Jewish these Jewish ceremonies. This poor, humble little family traveled over to Jerusalem. It would have been a special day in their eyes that they were obedient to the law of Moses and they kept the traditions of the religion in which they participated. Now let's read on. Verse 25. Eric read this in his communion meditation. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He had revealed to him that the Holy, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he would see the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When, his parent, when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So you see, the Spirit revealed to Simeon that Jesus is the Messiah. About this Simeon, we don't know a whole lot. Uh, we're told here that he was a devout Jew. Uh, we're, we're told that, uh, as most Jews, he believed in God's Messiah was one day coming. Uh, this Messiah called the, the Christ in the Greek language. Uh, he was the anointed one. He was going to be the king of the Jews. He would follow in David's line. He would be a great leader of the nation of Israel and lead them back into the prominence that they had known in the time of King David. Uh, he would help them overcome the oppression of the Romans, and he would bring prosperity and peace. Thus, as it says, the consolation of Israel, or, or it would mean the comfort of the whole nation. And the Spirit of God had revealed to him that he would not die before this Messiah was born. And so the Spirit revealed to him that this Jesus was this Messiah. That's why he says, now you can dismiss your servant in peace. He's ready to die. He has seen the Messiah. And, and so he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he took this child and declared, Now dismiss your servant in peace. Let's read on. Of course, verse 29 says, Dismiss your servant in peace. And then verse 30 says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I want you to pay special attention to the word salvation there. You see, Jesus makes salvation available to all people. This is one thing that the Spirit makes known to Simeon, and Simeon makes known to all the people who are there. This section of Scripture, verses 29 through 32, became known as uh, the hymn of Simeon, or Nuc Dimittis. 
it's the Latin words, the first two words, now dismissed. And he's saying, Lord, I'm ready to go now. I see what you had promised all along. And he brings two points out here. A revelation to the Gentiles. This is a new light for the Gentiles that they will be included in this, in this uh, salvation as well. You know, the Gentiles were non-Jewish people. And all along, uh, it had been told that they were not uh, going to be saved unless they converted to be a Jew. But now Simeon's saying, no, this salvation is for the Gentiles as well. It goes on to say, in glory to the nation of Israel, that is the glory that shows that all the promises God made in the Old Testament are now being fulfilled in this little baby Jesus. Now, what is this salvation? You know, it's not something that it can be earned. It's not something that can be deserved. Salvation comes only by the grace of God. It comes only as a free gift of God. It comes only as God's grave favor. In fact, that's what the word grace means, is favor. It's God's favor poured out. It's free. And it's based on our faith in this little baby who grew up to be the Messiah, Jesus. It's deliverance from danger. It's freedom from oppression. It's healing of sickness. It's removal of guilt. It's release from captivity. It's overcoming fear of threat. It's security of life over death and more. In Christ, it's, it's all of that. But especially one day, it will be eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth that God's going to bring when Jesus returns in a place where the Bible says there'll be no more death and no more crying and no more pain no more anything bad. It'll be a place where God himself will be with us. And he will be our God and our leader. It's a place of eternal life in God's kingdom forever. Now look at what it says in these last few verses. 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to take a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So here's our connection. This salvation comes at a great price, but it results in an amazing gift to all who believe. You see, the baby Jesus, the Messiah, will grow up to leave a, lead a movement of people back to God. And what he attended, intended all along, a movement of grace and truth for all the people of the earth that leads to peace for everyone who would believe in Jesus. Many will follow. But many will reject, and there will be controversy. 
And he will be unjustly accused. He will be tried. He will be crucified. He will be buried in a tomb. But he will rise to life again, proving that what the Scripture said is true and that he is the Son of God. You know, it says Mary's heart will be pierced. That's sort of symbolic because she will witness Jesus' death. But she will witness his burial and his resurrection as well. I want to close today with this poem. You probably have heard it before, but it bears repeating. It's such a beautiful poem. It's by Dr. James Allen Francis. It's titled, One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in the carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place of his birth. He did none of the things that one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. As he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave to the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. And as the leader of mankind's progress, all the armies that ever marched, and all the navies that ever sailed, and all the parliaments that ever set, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on earth as much as this one solitary death. Let's pray. God, on this uh, Christmas Eve Sunday today, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to lift up his holy name. And we want to celebrate him today, knowing all that he went through, but knowing that he did rise victorious to become our Lord and our Savior and to bring us the opportunity for salvation to all who will place their faith in him. In Jesus' name, we pray and praise today.